I'm Nalaya Chakana, and you're listening to the Dare to Love podcast. The Dare to Love podcast is the place where we get naked and have a real conversation. So welcome everyone. I am super excited for this episode. Nikki and I are going to be talking about mainly her journey in Dare to Love and how she attracted her soulmate. So Nikki and I worked together probably, I think it's already been almost two years, right? Two, two years and four months. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) She knows this in total accuracy (laughs) because it was, I think, only a week after we finished our our journey of there to love that um, this beautiful man walked into her life. So working with Nikki was uh, really a true pleasure. Um, mainly because there's, although we are quite different, there's also a reflection that is so distinct in who we are. And uh, I could really see myself in so many ways in her. And she's just a very knowledgeable, super wise, extremely self-aware woman. She's also an intimacy coach. And so to do this kind of work with a person who is already so advanced, I love it because what we are then looking for are you know to polish the edges and really look in at like the shadow that is hiding in the peripheral because like you almost know how to trick yourself to not see what is there that is preventing you from getting where you want to be and so that of course is at the heart of my work to really see like where are the patterns but for many people it's like obvious and the breakthrough is like huge whereas for you it's like okay i'm doing this step by step but where is really the fine fine detail of that which needs to be realigned so yeah i think this interview is going to be super juicy and really beautiful because you're such an embodied woman uh, so maybe you want to add to this introduction um, share with us your name and the work that you do specifically, and uh, then we'll just flow into the storytelling. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, thank you for thank you for all of that. That feels like I feel so lifted up by that introduction. Thank you. I feel so seen. Um, yeah. So my work. It's funny too because simultaneously, while we were doing our work together, my personal work, my professional work, also took off in a new direction or a deeper direction too. So when we met, the work that I was doing was very much based on obviously self-work, sexual healing, sexual reclamation, um, because that was my journey with healing my own sexual trauma, my own intimacy connection with self. So through that journey, um, what brought me to you was understanding that the work I was doing was, of course, so deep, so potent, so powerful, and so necessary. It was foundational, but there were also all of these blind spots, all of these areas, because clearly I wasn't in the place that I desired to be. Clearly, there was still these blocks that were present. So since then, since our work together and my journey through my relationship, which has been um, the greatest initiation in my life again and again and again, <laughs> the evolution of my my work has also like deepened exponentially. And I work a lot, of course, like deeply with sexual healing, but I do a lot of hands-on work with women now in, um, in conjunct with, in conjunction with all my coaching programs. So as much as (laughs) I love the realms of the mind and working with belief systems, I love and believe so much in bringing this work into the somatic practices, the somatic healing ceremony ritual. It's like 
all encompassing. We can only get so far with like intellectual coaching. So then to add this element of the hands-on work that I facilitate and the specific frequency that I bring in is like, yeah, that's the mastercraft. That's like my life's path, my service. Mm. Beautiful. Uh, just hearing you reminds me of the work I was doing in the past in the form of retreats. And it's like, that's my great love. Right now I'm in the baby years, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but one day there's going to be a dare to love retreat. I think for all the dare to lovers, <laughs> I've had yes. this requested, uh, but let's see for now. Um, let's jump right in. You said something really beautiful and very potent right before we started recording. And I think that that could be a nice uh, icebreaker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So the icebreaker statement, do we go in right this? I kind of, I want to share how I came to you because I feel like that's going to lead up to this like big for discovery sure. of what the belief was. Go for Let's it. Let's do it. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't remember this story, actually. I, I would like to hear it. <laughs> There's certain parts of the story that I probably can't share on this, um, but you'll, you'll probably remember it. So essentially, um, so I, I tried, I have been on this path. So as we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about like abandonment wounds, betrayal wounds were like in my DNA since conception. And I was adopted when I was 17 days old. So not only was I working with like my own genetics and upbringing of beliefs and imprints through my biological family, but also a whole nother set through the family that raised me. So there was like literally the way I see my life's work, as much as I do like the sexual reclamation work, I'm also like forefronting a lot of ancestral clearing work for myself and for my clients, of course, because what we do for ourselves, we bring out to the world. So I had these four threads, these four lines that I was working with of healing and clearing very consciously, like my, my entire adult life. So in my twenties and all of this like relationship exploration phases, I tried like a lot of different things. I tried polyamory, which we could probably definitely talk about too at some time, which is like, I know we kind of have similar beliefs around the evolution of that, all of these things to, to finally find myself to truly deeply desire conscious monogamy and know like that is what is true for me. So when I started focusing that in and doing all this clearing work and intentional healing work. I was very surprised that as much healing work that I had done, as much work that I had been focused on myself, I was still attracting these men that were like seemingly out of left field. So at the point that I had like a couple of like, say, six month relationship, three to six months relationships that were like, they weren't good, <laughs> but I was there and I was like, this is a karmic thing I need to fulfill, you know, whatever, whatever stories we have to stay in these places that we don't need to stay. Um, but by the time I met you, I was really in a clear place of like, I'm ready, I'm calling it in. And what I ended up calling in were two men back to back that were like showing quite dangerous and weird traits. And I got out very quick. Um, one of them was like gaslighting me about a toilet seat. Like it was this whole very bizarre thing where his story was like, it was just bizarre, like these bizarre, like the universe laughing at me kind of situations. And I had to like, get to this place of humbling myself. Now I'm a coach, right? I'm a practitioner. And it was like, why am I not asking for an intimacy coach? Like, why am I not? Like, what is this part of me that's like blocked from asking for help? And what the core belief was that was preventing me from even asking for support and help. And the core belief was that was even preventing me from calling in the partner was, was simply that I believe that it was more dignified to be independent than it was to desire love. It was much more 
dignified, to be proud in who I am and not desire or want anything more than that. Super powerful, really mm. powerful. So, oh, there's a little cut. You're going to hear some meows on the background. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, stranger. Yeah, it's really interesting. So recently I pulled a tarot card for a girlfriend of mine. And um, that tarot card reminded me of the time. It's from a shamanic deck called the Vision Quest deck. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the daughter of water. And there's this sentence in that card that says, never ridicule the longing to basically unify with your soul partner. I mean, I'm, I'm basically phrasing it in my own words. But I remember continuously pulling that card and it it had me understand that what I for myself had to release a little bit was almost like the shame that that longing deeply existed. And I see it in many people around where it's like, of course, the innate most primal thing is for us to want to have our mates, whether it's for reproduction, whether it is to walk our path. I mean, of course, the biology of who we are as human beings is part of the mating dance is how we attract our partner, whether we choose to become parents or not. And the fact that we're living in this world where certain ideologies are held so high that it's almost like interfering with this innate longing that is very much there. And I think that this also causes for certain self-sabotaging patterns to exist or for uh, people to attract partners that you can either walk away from or knowing that it's going to end simply to hold on to that truth that is actually getting in the way, like you said. Yeah. You know, when we look at, so like through the lens that I, I perceive like all these energies moving, because I do think it always comes down to the body. It's like the way I see shame is the block of the sacral chakra. It's like the shadow, it's the inversion. And here it is like our creative center and our womb center where we're going to be calling in and attracting in any kind of partner. So when we have that energy of shame and we're not even willing to look at it, and that was really the position I was in was the shame was so so loud that I couldn't even, I didn't even know it was there because I was protecting myself from even feeling that the shame existed to begin with. So it was really tapping into, and it was both sides of it. It was like, there was conditioning that I had. um, And you know, it's contradictive, everything though, especially Mm -hmm. in Western culture, whatever Western culture means to you, but especially where I am in the United States, we have all of these like contradictive beliefs being fueled in us about like, what is right to want? Like what, what is, what is not frivolous? What is real reality? Like what is realistic? What is, um, what is delusional? Like what is setting standards too high? Like all of these constructs, all of these rules that really take us away from cultivating or even tapping into the truth of our own personal desire. And I feel like for me and my journey, I was so, like navigating this sea of wounds and traumas and perpetuated like um, pathways and sequences that I played out again and again and again in different relationships. I was outsourcing my power to all of these like belief systems and rule systems that really took me away from feeling what was always there, which was like the shame and that desire and beyond the shame of having a desire for that divine union connection laid the truth of the energetic magnetism of what that desire actually was. But it was to go through the shame to actually tap into what that power was. And that was the journey. And that's the journey that we went on through like 
delicate layers dropping in, like, you know, peeling back the layers into the shadow and then cultivating and bringing in that light and like such an eloquent process that you created and curated. It's like the journey that we went on was step-by-step. It's not like, okay, strip this down. Here you go. It really was a very thoughtful, ritualistic sequence that allows the subconscious to soften and drop into the inherent truth. That is, I believe I solely with my entire body believe that every person on this planet desires conscious monogamy. I really believe that. And I believe that any any polyamorous or non-monogamous relationship along the way is a beautiful exploration of self-discovery, but it's not the ultimate soul-fulfilling path. But the fact that like conscious monogamy and intimacy in these divine union ways is so it's so holographic, multidimensional, ego crushing. It's like, it's the scariest thing in the world. So there was also that aspect as, as much as I desired it, my soul desired it and I was ready for it. And I was saying I was ready for it when it came down to it and I was in it. I, it was like, is this right? Am I doing it wrong? This is too much. I'm going to get out, da, 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 all these things. And it's like that nervousness because our soul knows, our soul knows truth beyond time. The nervous energy of knowing if I go into a conscious relationship, my ego is going to die again and again and again. And we all feel that. Like I feel that we all tap into that truth of how big this relationship is. And I see so many women, myself included, that are like, I'm here, I'm ready. Why isn't it happening? But it's like, can you trust in the timing? Can you trust in the mm-hmm. process and the initiation sequence to get you to that place where you are broken open and ready for this love that's going to rapture you again and again and again and again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you point this out because in a way, I do believe like there is a recognition in the soul that knows this like sacrifice that is going to happen or it is like ego death on whatever (laughs) level this happens, right? It's going to be very individualistic depending on where you're at in life. But some level of sacrifice is needed, especially for this archetype that you and I both represented in the past. I mean, I lived my life so independent for more than a decade. I was traveling the world, had my own business, uh, did what I wanted basically and it's not to say that I am no longer free or sovereign. I 100% am, even as a mother. Um, you know, I wrote a post today on Instagram talking about, you know, the dilemma of the modern woman is not to to have this or the other, but rather to to look at how can I fuse it? Like the question that mothers may have is like, how can I create life and create my projects, right? Whereas I think it's very, what I see a lot around me is women feeling like, oh, my business right now is more important. So I think I'm going to do this for a couple more years and then I'm ready for a relationship. And when I hear things like that, it clicks into what you were just saying, because it's almost like the soul knows that some piece is going to shatter, but it's going to shatter and break open, right? Like there is this beauty to be discovered on the other side of that, which is immense love, immense connection. Like I've even discovered for myself that I have been afraid of union. It's like I've I've had moments in my relationship where I was fighting to just have a moment of disconnect because that has been somehow my comfort place. Anyway, this is something that perhaps we can go into um, in a little bit. I, I wanted to actually respond to the thing that you said right in the beginning when you got talking where you said, you know, you were ready, but still you attracted these men that was just to the point of ridiculous, right? And 
I feel that very often it does require us to enter this space that is like, I have had enough. Like even recently, I met a, a friend of a friend. She's unfortunately going through a breakup, a heartbreak, and it's this horrible but beautiful mourning process, right? But I recognize so many of her words that seem so, how do I put it? It's it's like a very normal thing to go through. But I think in this podcast, I just want to point out that you have to recognize the moment that you reach that point of I've, I have enough. It's a power that resides in that energy of I have enough. And I think that that is the energy that allowed you to see through what was withholding you from actually asking for help to get to a place where you wanted to be, where you knew you were ready to attract your soulmate. And for me, it was the same, right? I think that the the point of me having had enough is the whole reason or like the, the foundation from which I birthed Dare to Love. And it just like channeled through me one evening. I remember knowing I wanted to create it, but what, and, and I even went on holiday, like a beach holiday thinking like, oh, I'm going to work on this course, da, da, da. nothing happened. I think I just needed the rest. And then right when the pandemic started one evening, I sat down and it all just came through me. And it's like, uh, I guess all built on mainly the five years I lived in India and everything I learned there regarding ritual and tantra and spirituality. And then, of course, the five years in, in Peru with the shamanic input and similar to you, like all the ancestral work that is really at the base, right? Like we have to pull out those roots and really take care of the foundation and right now I'm really refining like the the content and uh, taking my time to write it out and record it because the way I'm going to teach it this year is going to be a little bit different. Like with you, we did it one-on-one because I had that space and I did a couple of group journeys in the past. But since I am a mama, it's like life is very unpredictable. So I'm actually taking my time to write it out and record it with like very specific anecdotes that I want there to be. Um, and then the group journey is basically going to be, you can listen to, um, yeah, the lectures in your own time while still having the support system of doing this, um, together in a group. Yeah. I feel like, you know, doing this work, there's something and we hear it again and again and again, but there's so much truth in it. It's like, when we come together to do this work, when we come together as women, it's like the force around that is so unstoppable. Um, I knew specifically, especially where I was. And I think one of the things that you and I have so deeply in common is that we're so dominant in our masculine energy and it's a strength. It's not, it's not a weakness. It's not something bad. It's not a deficit. I think there's a lot of misconceptions and polarity teachings that could be very misleading. Um, but we both were very refined and masculine. So I needed to have somebody come in like a surgeon into my field and like really work this out because what you said in the beginning too, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm very intellectual, which means I'm very good at tricking myself. So not having exactly someone, that. To, <laughs> exactly that. right. It's like, and that, wow. and that's the thing. So it's like to have someone to call me on my bullshit to see in like the corners, um, someone that I love and trust and see myself in, of course, um, that, that was the point of it. And there's a different magic in medicine when we come together in group, because, for me, I needed I needed that sternness. I needed that directness. And I feel like in the groups, you get the nourishment, you get the compassion aspect that's like so rich and magical in a different in a different way. So I think one of the biggest pieces for me, and it's all because everything is like 
symbolic and metaphorical and all of these things, right? Like everything we do in life. So even me realizing, because I I don't want to be with a feminine man. I just don't. There's nothing wrong with women that want to be with feminine men at all. It's just not my preference. And for me to be someone who's so strong in my masculine, it wasn't about me, you know, demanding a man be more in his masculine. It was about finding the way that I can be more in my feminine, finding my way um, to be more receptive. So there was this really beautiful symbolism and seeing the blocks that I had, because I'm someone who has seen countless healers and coaches and worked with so many practitioners across the board. But the fact that I even had a block around receiving support for intimacy work was so telling where I was in my masculine energy. No, I can do it myself. I'll figure it out on my own. Like all of these more reinforced masculine patterns that were really blocking me from receiving love, receiving what I wanted to receive in a partnership. So that was really like just the saying yes, yes to receiving support, yes to receiving guidance was like really the first step in me saying like, yes, I want to receive in partnership. If I'm willing to receive the support it takes to get there because I see this is what me doing it on my own looks like, which is not looking good. (laughs) And I've had so many beautiful loves. I've had so many loves. I love all the people I've loved, but I didn't want just another love. I wanted union. I wanted life partnership. I wanted someone that I could trust with my entire soul, with all of my dreams, someone that I could trust with my dreams because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not choosing to be a mother in this life. It's not for whatever reason, it's just not calling to me. And my business is in so many ways, my, my child and my dreams and my love and my passion and my life. And it's like to have a man that can respect that and a man that can support that and a man that can care for my business and my dreams the way he would a child like that was really important to me and likewise for me to do the same and support my man in that way so there's all of these nuances of like looking at the ways that I was blocking myself from receiving that and and it really just came down to like the first step was saying I'm ready to receive support to go on this journey yeah I think it's really interesting what you said about receptivity as you know the dare to love journey really points towards receptivity which is the final module and it's like to receive right because that's what it really is about it's like how can you get in the resonance of trust so that you are open to magnetize and and this is why i have decided this year to also just do it for women for the strong independent woman because it's it's really an an archetype that um, fascinates me but also, like you say, you know, like we're often these women that have leaned, let's say, on, on aspects of our own inner masculine to the point where that actually kind of gets in the way. So in my last, let's say, six months of uh, being single, <laughs> one of the practices that I was doing for myself in regards to receptivity was ensuring that I was receiving from men that were, let's say, above me. Um, so I would take on a sport. I I ended up doing kickboxing. I know it's a very masculine sport in the end. I I did see that that wasn't very helpful in certain ways, but at that point it was helpful because my teacher was a man and he knew more and I had to listen. And I mean, obey is, is a big word, but it's, it's basically like, yeah, you, you learn from someone who knows more. I also decided to only listen to a podcast hosted by men to read books only by men. And, um, 
whenever I was going through an emotional process, I would reach out to my brothers first instead of first my sisters. So I was really like making an effort to push myself a little bit in that position of like, I want to receive from a man who's above me. I want his guidance. I want him to make decisions. I want um, him to make it to take initiative. I want to learn from him, from his voice. Now it's, it's really quite interesting because, okay, the, the border shut, no, like we were in the pandemic. This was a time where I guess most of us had less to do. And, and me, I started gardening more. And the one podcast I started listening to most was actually Uruwan's podcast. And so him on his side, he had more time to record podcasts. So it's kind of interesting that we were more and more in each other's fields because we obviously had already met um, nothing romantic, but we stayed in contact. And right at that time, I guess it kind of flourished in an indirect way because we didn't actually know this from each other, but it resulted I guess, energetically in me reaching a point where I could step into that receptive mode where he invited me as a guest onto his podcast. And it was there that I dared to flirt with him, which is something that in the past I never, ever did, mainly because I don't want to fall in love with someone who's on the other side of the world. I don't want to fantasize about whatever. But the reason that the way I flirted with him had nothing to do with hopes and dreams and longing of some kind of dream reality with a man I barely knew, but rather for the sake of entertainment, I was like, he's a really cool dude. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Um, let's have some fun. Like that was the only reason I, I let him indirectly know, no, like, yeah, you're attractive. So, okay. The, the, right at the point, I don't know if this is already relevant for the journey that we're making here in the podcast, but I'm just going to go for it. Um, so right at that point, I was really in a very specific energy when he invited me onto his podcast that basically set in motion everything No, that came after. Like I said, we were in the, in the pandemic. I'm very similar to you for many, many years, even though I had relationships that didn't really last. So I don't even know whether I can call them relationships, but I stepped into all of them uh, knowing that I wanted to see, is this going to be the father of my children? Um, is this the man I'm walking my path with? Uh, so I was very focused on monogamy. I had no interest in just having a lover, um, even though, you know, those relationships that last, that don't really last very long. It's like, uh, it's kind of like just a discovery journey that you're on. And when you end it after six months, it's basically like, yeah, it clearly wasn't that person. And I'd reached the point, like I said earlier, of like, I, I have enough enough of wasting my time because it, it like it's such a journey right and i think that that in itself can also be an addiction it's like we we are such inquisitive people we're so willing to go through hardship whatever that means whether it's super intense or whether it's simply a love encounter that we have to learn from or receive some kind of reflection anyway i reached the point where i simply had enough um but i'm a very sexual sensual being and during the pandemic like Honestly, it was the peak of my um, experience of all the five years I'd lived in Peru. So like the community really came together. We were holding these underground ecstatic dances because nothing was allowed at the time. Friendship really like deepened in ways that, yeah, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. So everything was thriving. Like my business was thriving in ways I'd never seen it flourish before. And yet I, I, yeah, I long to be naked with someone. And I also felt like, okay, there is a pandemic going on. Half of the valley, you know, people had left. Uh, it had basically dried up quite a little bit. And 
I, I guess intuitively, I don't know how to put it, but I felt that my life partner wasn't in the valley. So I basically opened up to having a lover. I, I, in, in, uh, in Peru, they, they work a lot with the coca leaf. So when you have three coca leaves, it's called a kintu, and it's a way to, to connect with the godly presence. And you basically blow to the apus, which are the sacred mountain spirits. So all I did was I blew a kintu to the apus saying, I'm ready for a lover. I'm just going to have fun because I'm in a space in life where, you know, why not? So I had a lover. It was a great journey, um, incredible sexual connection, but it didn't allow me to find the security. And I think that this is the whole point that you were making earlier about monogamy. I didn't find the security. And, you know, in the past, I'd already experienced polyamory, explored in all kinds of ways sexually in, in my early 20s and came down to the same understanding. No, it's like, wow, when I have deep emotional experiences, I require a particular foundation of safety. And it is actually what I call the freedom of the heart to expose the heart, to expose these deeper layers of my Shakti, my Kali, my Sarasvati. No, it's like all these faces of our womanhood. And some of it is super ugly. Some of it is beauty, but that is easy to portray to just anyone, whether it's a lover or, or a partner, but it's the ugly. And it's that safety that we as women require because the woman is wild and there's aspects that you know, we only can find our own insights through entering that chaos and that chaos has to be held. And so that was one thing that I really strongly encountered um, with this lover of mine where I simply didn't want to open up to him. And it had me become this almost, I don't know how to put it because I was myself, but I felt like I was needing to control how much of myself I was. <laughs> Anyway, he had to leave Peru. So that was the end of that. And when he left, I said to God or the goddess or the divine, however you want to see it, I basically said, you know what? I'm just going to be celibate until this pandemic ends because life is so, so good right now. I'm simply going to continue with my own personal tantric practices, elevate my sexual energy and pour it into my business. And if that is how I need to uh, continue until the borders open again and world returns to whatever the new version of our planet was going to be, I said, so be it. Like, I can be patient. Like, I simply don't want to go through another experience like this. So I entered a space for the absolute first time in my life in which I could say the whole universe, all my friends and family, including myself and everyone I know, knows what my deepest desire is. Like, yes, I want a family. Yes, I want my life partner, but I don't have to keep focusing on it. So it's almost like I knew what I wanted and I was able to let it go. And this yeah. is the very tricky energy that it requires to be in, in order to be in the ultimate mode of receptivity. And that's something that really cannot be faked. It's like there, <laughs> you know, when you do this inner work, you you come at a point where it's like, Okay, I, I don't have to continue repeating what my desire is because it's clear. No, like there's no more shame. There's no more ridicule. There's no more holding you back. And then also the letting go of like, bueno, if I have to wait three years, four years, whatever, I'll do it because I'm no longer willing 
to go through all kinds of, I don't know what kind of experiences in order to, again, need to process or do whatever. It's like, I know who I am. I love myself. I know the value of the woman um, I am and, and what I have to offer. And so I trust this person exists. That that thing I've, I've never doubted, which is one really beautiful thing, I think, about the way that I've journeyed for myself. Because I know there's people who even need to pick up the confidence and the trust to start believing that right. a really, right. really good, handsome, gorgeous, sexy, yeah. masculine man is out there for them. Yeah. Yeah. I love, God, this piece about letting go is like, it's the biggest trip, right? Because it's like the letting go is you, you end up in a different state of consciousness. Like that's what the letting go is. So it's not something, it can't be faked. It can't be acted out. It really is just this alchemical process that we reach. And I feel like, like, this is the key, like, this is so essential. And this is where like manifestation culture and law of attraction culture can be so, um, it can be, well, you know what? It makes a lot of money. <laughs> it makes a lot of money to teach in these ways when the essence of it in this letting go piece is never really properly taught because it can't be properly taught. It's really just this, this thing that you access. And I remember distinct moments. I remember, so at the time that I was doing this work with you, I was living. Um, so when COVID started, I got out of Boston. I got out of the city and moved into rural Massachusetts, like no Wi-Fi, middle of nowhere, Massachusetts with one of my elders, one of my spiritual teachers and her partner on their homestead. And there was this moment I was in the in-law apartment. Um, so I had my own space there and I had like a, a pretty big health scare. Um, there was like a lot of blood in, in this situation that happened. And it was just this moment of like divine awakening. It was like, a moment of seeing my mortality in a split second and the priorities of my life got crystal clear. And it was in that moment that it was so clear to me that there is no way that I am on this earth living this life to not experience that love. But it took that like real visceral mortality threat, just a glimpse, just the illusion of it to snap me out of it, to snap me out of the, like, I need to do this to do this. I need to do this to get this. Like all of the desperate actions. It took me that moment of, of just a little bit of a divine intervention, wake up call for me to be like, oh, it's my birthright. Oh, that's what I'm here for. And knowing, well, if I desire it, I'm in alignment with it. I don't need to keep trying to control and that's that like the masculine is going to be in that control piece. And us here as these feminine beings, we're here to receive, like we're here to receive our desires, which is also like lost when we're learning from masculine teachers, because the masculine doesn't really understand this principle of desire and longing and yearning and the power that's inherent in it. So there was this really big dance of understanding the art of letting go while being able to still be in the sacred yearning and the sacred longing when those moments came up, but not attached to outcome, not attached to time. Because even in that moment, it was like, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter when this happens. It doesn't matter when it happens because when it happens, it happens Then I'm there. So it really is like this whole piece about letting go. It's, it's the biggest piece and it's the hardest piece because it exists like all the work we do to get to that point where we're ready to be in that stage to let go and receive, like that's the leap. Like that is the full, full leap of faith, leap into a different, different reality. So I'm not quite sure how to formulate this question because, um, yeah. So for a moment, you said something about, you know, this world of manifestation and it's like a great money-making business. 
um, <laughs> you were looking for a word like that is very, and I almost said very masculine, like the way that it is taught, right? Like make your list and envision this and da da da. But what is happening in that in that kind of practice is you're directing, you're steering, you're creating a tunnel vision because whatever you can imagine is actually based on the experiences and the memories you already have. Uh, like it's something that I actually emphasize on in Dare to Love because what we want to get to is a place of trust, a trust that you know. Uh, this guy doesn't have to be X, Y, and Z in order for me to feel at home. Like what I'm after is the feeling of being at home with him, right? So uh, how do we get to that place of of trust? How do we get to that place of feminine versatility where we trust? Because we're designed in that way, right? Like we have a yoni, we receive in sexual intercourse and the way our bodies are shaped is very symbolic for how we take a stance in life. And so the whole feminist movement is almost like, again, and the protection shield against um, really stepping into that fragility, because it's a very different type of power um, to be in that receptive mode. So I guess what I'm very interested in regarding your personal experience, because as you mentioned, you're quite masculine, you're very smart, that gets in your own way sometimes. So where, how... Again, I don't know how to formulate this question, but I think you know what I mean. It's like, how did you see the shift? How did you get into the shift of like, okay, masculine part of me stepped it aside for a moment. Um, here's the softer aspect of me that comes in whispers instead of shouts <laughs> that uh, has a lot to say, but isn't always heard. Uh, where did you see that shift and how did it bring you into that space where Troy could walk into your life? Mm -hmm. It was not conscious. In hindsight, I see what happened. So for me, what this this process was and is very much so like the most important practice I keep in my life, the foundational practice that keeps me going. Um, and I want to talk about like the opposite masculine swing that this brings us in after the fact. So like the first aspect of this masculine is the control, like the the hyper manipulative aspects of like desiring to shape the reality and this like space that is ego driven. So the work, the practice that is a daily practice, it's my core practice is feeling your feelings all the way through. And this is really like just the art to cracking open. And if we can trust that, that one feeling is going to lead to the next feeling. And most of our feelings are feelings that we felt ages ago from our youth and their unprocessed feelings or patterns or feeling of feeling sequences of feelings. And our work is to get to the root of the feeling sequence so we can unplug that sequence to be whole, present, and true in the moment. So there's many different teachers, philosophers, philosophies, lineages that teach this practice of coming into presence. But even that practice is taught through the masculine perspective. And in that masculine perspective, so now we have like the out of balance over vigilant masculine that is all about control. When we swing in the other direction, it's all about surrender, which is different from there's like the hmm, surrender is surrender. So surrender, being with what is just being present in the now, like to me, the masculine is that ever present. I am consciousness as well. So when we can get to that place, it's like when you're already there, you're already whole, there's nothing to desire. So when we have a lot of men teaching that principle of, you know, life mastery, if you will, they say surrender, let go of control and just be with what is. But the feminine is the part of us that wants more. The feminine is the part of us that desires. And that's the magic of, of being a woman. That is the magic of 
creating from this place of feminine energy, which is very different from the masculine I am present that just gets to be surrender and doesn't have any um, desires, any attachment to desires. So, you know, it's like the four noble truths that talk about like desire leads to attachment, leads to suffering and whatever the other truth is. And this is truth. Like this is, this is the art. The art is to be in the place of allowing ourselves to desire, to feel the desire so fully and let it go. So it's really being present moment to moment with what's alive in the body and trusting that every feeling that's coming up, especially if it's old, is coming up because it's needing to be transmuted or cleared along the way to get us on that path. It's already happening. It's already happened. And there's this journey through the emotions of riding the the highs of the blissful desires and also like the shadow aspect of like the longing and the aching of the desire that like really magnetizes that in. But then there's all of the blocks that come up to be clear because as long as like, you know, as you put it, like as long as our arrowhead is set in that direction, as long as our masculine energy is like, this is the direction I'm headed in. I'm not like, I'm not bowing for anything. Like this is it. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to be present with whatever life gives me and allowing life to give all of the experiences that take us there. So there is this like surrendering into deep trust. And this is the frequency you're talking about where we can just land and ground in our body in that deep knowing that this is what I'm choosing. Life is on my side. This is this is my inherent like birthright is to have this love and life is going to take me there. I just need to not get in the way and clear all of the things that show up in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. While listening to you, I was I was kind of just feeling into the listeners and feeling into the yes but <laughs> type of thoughts that can arise now when listening to this. Because it's like, okay, you and I have arrived, but I think both of us can can very clearly remember that space before where it's like, yeah, yeah, you have all the knowledge, you know this. And I'm sure there's many people listening and agreeing, not nodding their heads and feeling like, yes, I have the desire. I want to feel it on. I, I want to let go of all of the shame. But then there is this protection, right? And I think that this is part of the fragility that is connected to the feminine, particularly the feminine present in the woman, right? That is part of the power, but it has to feel safe. So like, I put a lot of emphasis on like how to transform protection into security. It's something that I've, I think I've taught full webinars on just this subject because it's like protection is something that will shield you. It won't just shield you against the negative. It will shield you against the positive. And there's a level of control in that. Whereas security is the understanding of the power that you possess to respond in the moment to what is needed. It's kind of the same as the way that, um, you know, there's this anticipation of something going wrong or meeting something wrong, or um, as opposed to um, expecting the good. But if it's not, you know how to respond. It's a very fine, subtle difference um, in the way that we hold ourselves. And, you know, connecting this to the strong, independent woman, I believe that one of the very clever protection mechanisms that we have is to be these quote unquote. Uh, confident women who know it all. Um, there's like cat hair on my nose. <laughs> this cat, I think, I don't know whose it is, but <laughs> I think didn't didn't get enough attention. Yeah, there's all these men oh in this gosh. office. She needed a little bit of woman touch. 
Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the hairs are everywhere um where was I yeah the protection mechanism yeah so what I you know now that I'm here I'm able to look back and see like yeah I carried myself as a woman of value I was very quick in rejecting men because I had certain standards and I'm very happy that I carried myself in that way however I'm also able to look back and say you know, a part of that confidence was also my protection. And I think it comes, this kind of level of protection, I think overcomes everyone because we don't want to repeat the same love story. We don't want to attract a man that again is going to fool us, but then ends up not being the person that we expected them to be, or isn't able to live up to his potential or cannot provide the security that we need in order to be in our feminine and blah, 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 blah. Right. Like we all have um, stories like that. And I think that the absolute trickiest thing is to process certain wounds and certain hurts. It's kind of paradoxical because, you know, on the one hand, we needed those experiences in order to arrive in a place where there's more wisdom. And it's through that wisdom that you can take a stance of feeling secure in who you are, because otherwise there's a level of innocence that simply won't allow for that. Um, so it's almost like to make that transition from being in the protective mode moving towards feeling secure and therefore open to actually receive requires you to have shitty experiences. Like it's almost like it's part of life, like it's inevitable. Um, But yeah, particularly the, the strong independent woman, I feel like, okay, there is that, like you say, the narrative that can guide you into all kinds of directions or make analysis that protect you from the thing that you actually want or the confidence that is on one hand true, but on the other hand, also protective and controlling. And those are all energies that are opposite to actually being in trust, right? So yeah, maybe you want to hook into this through a story. I'm going to think about what story I can tell myself. Because I think we've we've shared a lot of like factual wisdom, let's say, but I'm I'm really thinking like, okay, it would be nice to add a story to that of like breaking through. And maybe for you, it was actually something ancestral, which is actually, yeah, I, I wanted to tap into that because it's very fascinating. You know, I've worked with so many people, but you having been adopted and like the shamanic ritual that we did for your um, birth parents who you had never met at that point. And like the impact that that ritual had on you, um, you know, the nurture versus nature, it was really profound for me to witness. So I don't know if you can tie that in to this this point of like how to move from protection and control to um, being in the receptive mode and feeling secure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think I have a really good metaphor for what we're speaking about that. It's not mine. It's actually one of my mentors, but I think it's just a good visual. And I think visuals are very helpful when we're working with like intellectual concepts that can get very airy. So it's like the difference between protection and trust, right? Um, It's like when we're in that protective space, it's like being like an egg and we have this hard shell and such a soft, soft center. And it's like, if anything comes at that shell, hits that protection and it hits us the wrong way, like we will break versus coming at it like, like we're a peach with this solid, solid core, but this like very soft and like furry skin on the outside. So it's like that element of having that inner strength um, that doesn't need to be protected, that security that you speak of, that it's not about protection, it's about security. It's like the securities in that like diamond core of the heart, that diamond core of self 
versus needing to have this armor on. And I feel like, like, I mean, that's, that's the work I do for women, right. Is de-armoring women's bodies. And that's the work that we all have to do as women for ourselves is the de-armoring process. And we hear this a lot in like the sacred sexuality realms, because it's so important that we're healing these aspects of like premature penetration on all levels and all of this armor that we've built, all of this protection we've built. So even just having that visual that we're not walking around like these eggs, like these fragile little eggs, and instead coming at it, like we're this solid, solid cord peach and we can be soft and we can receive, and it's never going to take us out of our core. Like we will always be anchored into that secure essence of who we are. Mm, I love that. So when someone says, how are you? You say, I'm peachy. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a really beautiful metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's like a a good and easy visual to understand the difference between protection and security. Because we can hear these words and we can come up with like stories and loops of what they mean to us. But it's like when we can connect to that feeling sense of like, oh, this is what it feels like to not be wearing a shell. We're not going out so hardened into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like I kind of want to go back to what I was sharing in the beginning of this podcast, where I positioned myself almost as the student of the masculine, because one of the ways that I protected myself first was to know it all, because I, I do know a lot. <laughs> but to be in that Uh position is a protection right it like prevents you even from growth depending on like how you use it right and then the other thing that really 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 bothered me in the past is that I ended up always being in like the stronger position in my relationships so whether I would be the teacher the one uh, taking all the initiatives which was oh my god so tiring And yeah, in multiple occasions, I was also financially stronger. And that was simply symbolic, right? Because if money comes out in this, in a way like that, which is very emasculating, something that I had to learn the hard way. Um, but also I chose energetically to be in that position because it allowed me to remain in control. So I would pick men who were like, you know, medicine man, psychologist, master of some kind, tantric master, but somehow managed to still end up in the stronger position. So it didn't actually matter who I chose stereotypically, and they were often older than me. What mattered was that I hadn't um, done a particular level of inner work that it required in order for me to stand in my peach self, let's say, to Mm -hmm. allow them. Because many of those men are amazing men and they had great potential, but it's it's about me, right? And I like writing in this way and sharing in this way because, okay, there's a lot to say for whatever work the men need to do. But I believe that that, in a, that again can just, you know, support the shadow that already exists in so many feminists. Even if you don't want to call yourself a feminist, I think the whole strong independent woman has an aspect of that because I don't think I ever called myself that. Or maybe I did in the far, far past, like something I was proud of. But I was aware that that was not necessarily something that I wanted because it was just, you know, a a woman expressing herself from her core masculine. But anyway, I recognized the patterns that I was stuck in, like, you know, the the initiative taker, the decision maker, the financial support 
the and it wasn't like even direct it just happened in certain instances that kind of ruined the rest of the relationship mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and it happened in ways that was really quite innocent like for example um I just got together with someone, he was low on cash, I wanted to go to a festival. So of course, I took him with me. Or one summer, I was living in India. um, And that summer, I wanted to go to Holland to see my parents. Um, But I didn't want to um, have us be apart for too long. So I bought his ticket to come and see me. Or this other ex missed his plane. So I bought his plane ticket. You know, it's like, things like that are actually really delicate and, and quite you know, in need to be taken care of. And so me reflecting on my entire history of certain patterns that kept repeating is the thing that allowed me to see like, okay, I need to flip this around completely and position myself differently. And this is why, you know, I read books by men. I listened to podcasts by men. I took lessons by men. I went to see my brothers because I would have these dreams and this one person would would come into my dream who to me represented like the Shiva. And I saw him, I don't want to speak in terms of like, he's better than me or I'm higher or lower, but because in the past I was higher and in a stronger position, it's almost like for the sake of imagination, I had to flip it around completely and be the student and be the innocent and be the receptive and be, um, you know. But in saying that, when Ruan and I got together, those are faint layers that I still had to work on. Like, how do I not stand in that competition? And I think that that is really the softening that um, obviously happens in a safe, beautiful, um, poly, uh, sorry, not polyamorous, <laughs> polarizing, <laughs> polarizing <laughs> relationship. <laughs> Polarizing relationship. (laughs) Yeah, where the strength of my feminine comes out because of his strength in his masculine and vice versa. It's like my Shakti activates his his Shiva and vice versa. So it's like, yeah, these faint layers of like, why are we in competition? Who are we in competition with? And what is there to prove? And what are these layers of my confidence and my knowledge and my knowing where to go and what to do in whatever situation? And how is that actually stopping me and sabotaging the thing that I really deeply long for? So, yeah, I I relate to all of this. And I think this was probably like a little bit of... How do I want to say it? Um, it was a big, you know, there's certain, there's certain aspects like, you know, we desire these things. And then once, once we get them, it's like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would look like. And that's totally what Troy has been. And this relationship has been because I had this like bit of an illusion. If I've done all this work and I've come this far and I know what I want and I felt it in my body and I've played it out, I know the experiences then I, then it's just going to be there. Um, but it has been two years of a journey. It took, uh, you know, I feel like we hit the sweet spot in October. It took a year and a half for us to land in the place where I could fully let go to him and fully trust him and allow him to lead us. And I wasn't doing anything wrong, like nothing. It was just our timeline. And I think there's like so much pressure on what relationships should look like, especially with like I think, again, the polarity teachings that are out there can be quite toxic and like very misleading and like take out the organic unfolding of what it is to cultivate an authentic, intimate relationship. And that journey 
through understanding ourselves through the reflection of union or before I don't even feel like I hit the union frequency until six months ago, but it was this journey of calibrating and dancing and seeing like, where is this protection? And one of the things you said earlier was, um, you know, this aspect where it's like the feminine is all faces, including the ugly. And I never had issues showing my ugly for me. It was the fear of showing my vulnerability, like my weakest, the parts of me that like was petrified of life or whatever it was, the part of me, which to me, when I look at these, especially through like working um, with medicine, I see like the deepest imprints of the terror that's in my body all came through my conception and my birth and my adoption and being an infant. And in these like unimaginable spaces of vulnerability and having that, that layer in my cells, like who is the man that I can trust with my infant? Like who is the man that I can trust with the version of self that is in utero? Like who can hold all of that? And it took a long time for us to get there. And it was a perfectly imperfect journey and only time would have gotten us there. But I want to see that in because I think we do have, um, we do have this like misconception of thinking that once we're in the relationship, things will be smooth, clear, and everything will be as it seems. Yeah. The longing, allowing the longing, yeah, to to be with a man who knows how to take initiative, how who knows how to support, to provide, to create a safe container. And so it requires us to be in a particular space. I mean, just to kind of share a tiny bit about, you know, my experience, life forced me into a position in which I had zero options, but to surrender. I mean, it was the pandemic. We had to choose um, who is going to which country, where do we meet? So I left behind everything, everything. It's like I had built a very secure life for myself in Peru. I had a position in the community. I had my friends. I spoke the language. Uh, my business was flourishing. Everything was flourishing, right? And so I left. I went to Thailand. Didn't know the language. Didn't know my way around. The climate was exactly the opposite. And so here I was needing to lean on my man 100%. 100%. Um, and on top of that, I had difficulties connecting with the community. So it was this whole process. And by the time I was ready to teach again, because I felt a little bit, you know, more solid in my being, I got pregnant. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I could, mm -hmm. so it was like one teaching after the other to surrender, to surrender, to let go, to let him lead. And it had been my, my longing, my deepest longing. And it scared the hell out of me. So it's like we we do all this prep work, right? And we end up in this resonance of receptivity. Um, and then there's all the rest that comes after. And I think um, we're going to weave this into part two of this, uh, of this uh, podcast, because you and I have so much to share. So we actually already beforehand decided we're going to do two podcasts, uh, one really about the journey of there to love and looking at these shadows and the archetype of the strong independent woman and the longing and the desire and what does it require. And then in the next episode, we're going to go into these finer dynamics of like, what actually happens once you meet the love of your life? Because wow, there's a, a breaking open that is so confronting but so immensely beautiful. And it's it's like I just shared, no, regarding my my own journey. I had to do the inner work. I had to do, I mean, I personally did Dare to Love more than once. No, I basically did it every time I taught it. 
And so I know that I ended up in that position where it was like, yeah, my desire is there. The whole universe knows it. I can just let go and it will come whenever the time is right. And it came immediately. So to enter that space is because of the work. And even though it was really confronting to actually have a strong masculine man provide that space to take initiative. I mean, now we're at a stage where, for example, a couple of days ago, uh, we met in town. It was Sunday. I was with baby. He had some work to do. So we met in town, but it was so overwhelming. There were so many people and I got there and I was like, I want to leave. This is like too much for my sensitivity because I was mm -hmm. doing a parasite detox as well. So I was very open. But all I had to say was, you guide us, tell us where to go. Like, I just don't want to make any decisions, right? And oh my God, like he knows so well how to do that. And we're we're in this flow, right? Where I, I can simply um, let him take the lead and I want him. And in moments like that, there's no way I can give an answer of what I want to eat or where I want to go, <laughs> even though mm -hmm. I'm super mm -hmm. hungry. It's like, I, I just can't. I don't want to, basically. Let's put it like that. I don't want to. I could. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so anyway, is there anything you want to add to this uh, beautiful interaction we've had so far before we round up? Mm, I'm so excited for part two. I think I think what I want to end with is like, I think the perfect segue to into like the next conversation is like this element of trust, um, like this embodiment of trust that we must tap into in order to receive our partner is the frequency that we must keep practicing embodying while in the partnership. And it's like, like, that's the threshold. It's not like, okay, I trusted now the partner's here. I can go back to my default. It's like, now the practice is this next level of consciousness that we integrate in the feminine of, okay, now I live through this place of trust. Now I live through this place of surrender. And now my partner is my greatest teacher in that. And this relationship is the greatest teacher in that. And that is a whole huge conversation that we get to have next time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited. Mm -hmm. So let's see, how am I going to end this podcast? You know, I'm fully immersed in, in the creational aspect of Dare to Love right now. And like I shared uh, somewhere in the middle of, of this recording, um, you know, I'm really taking the time to like sit with what anecdote do what do I want to weave into which chapter of the journey of Dare to Love. And there are so many stories. Like Dare to Love is based on stories. It's my stories, my journey, but also the stories of the clients I've worked with. And I really truly believe that it's the storytelling that provides the base of the true wisdom that we want to pass on because we're living in a world, especially because of the pandemic, where everyone who knows a little bit about photography and hashtags, <laughs> who has, I don't know how many followers, presents themselves in a certain way. Um, but, you know, I, I see a lot of people uh, talking about this relationship type of stuff. Like even I mentioned it before we started recording, I, I was listening to a podcast this morning where there's this really intelligent, beautiful woman who you know, I respect for so many, uh, in so many ways, but she's talking about relationship 
even though she's single. So like there's that factual understanding, the the analysis of how the energies work, but to embody it, to have the actual experience, to know what it's like to be on the other side and what it requires is something very subtle. And I do believe that it's the storytelling, the actual experiences that um, provides the base of how we journey together. And then on top of that, even though I've loved individual work in the past, I am really excited to teach there to love and have everyone share their stories because, mm. you know, this time I am wanting to only attract, like I said, women who do identify in one way or another with a strong independent woman and have through their own experiences seen that in one way or another, this aspect, it's not wrong. You can keep, <laughs> you know, these beautiful mm -hmm. qualities, but in what way is it also sabotaging and prote uh, protecting and preventing you from stepping into the beautiful power that is the feminine not the the feminist but the feminine mm -hmm. it's very it's it's an art it really is an art so when i look at the way that i'm shaping there to love right now it's really like how to be in that trust how to be in that powerful secure feminine how to magnetize and so for those who are completely unaware of how I've built the system, there's three weeks of darkness and three weeks of light. The darkness is a lot more shamanistic. It's a lot more regarding pulling out the roots, digging into the dirt, doing the fire ritual, looking at the ancestry, looking at your past pains and shadows, um, and you know, releasing, reconciling, but also loving those aspects, right? Because they're not just going to vanish. Some of that is going to continue until it resolves. But the idea is to, yeah, really do that deep work to then enter the light. And it's really interesting because in all the work I've done, I have seen that most of us are actually more comfortable doing all the hard work in the weeks of darkness than to step into the pleasure, the value of pleasure, the receptivity, the magnetism, doing the tantric practices, connecting with your body. And exactly what you said, no, like, connect with the feeling being present with the feeling allowing through the tantric practices to be guided by the feeling like that's one of the the integrative practices it's like you're not the one guiding the tantric practice or guiding where the pleasure <laughs> should go or when the orgasm should happen but rather you follow and there's something really beautiful when we do it with the utmost love and presence in combination with intent and how we can utilize these pleasure practices to step into a particular resonance to attract to manifest to magnetize however you want to put it to end up in the place of receptivity which is what we talked about in this podcast so the journey is six weeks and it's going to start in july on july 5th which is a saturday so every saturday you get the lecture of that week we share throughout the week. You have a accountability partner that you journey with, which changes throughout every week. Um, so you have that personal contact, you have the group contact, and then there is a Q&A at the end of every week in which all the questions are answered before we step into the next module. So I am super, super excited. <laughs> yeah, because like I shared, I've kind of been stopped, it feels like, in sharing there to love before I got pregnant. Like a part of me wanted to like, you know, have these fireworks of like, oh, let's do dare to love one more time and then get pregnant. But then baby came and mm -hmm. I knew that 
I knew subconsciously that she interfered, let's say, because I needed to build on a certain foundation of the woman I have now started to become. Because I do feel like I've been in an in-between space for about a year. And now I'm seeing like aspects of my new womanhood rise up. Mm -hmm. And from this place, I'm able to share a lot more clear, like a lot more light also. And through these stories, so it really feels like, okay, I've arrived in a beautiful space where this is also the only opportunity, the way I see it, because we we want to have another baby. Um, so I'm really looking forward to like enter that space again after almost two years of not teaching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love, um, I'm really honored that I get to support you in birthing this next iteration because it was the work that got me into my union. So the amount of belief I have in your work and the amount of belief I have in women and their ability and capacity to call this in for themselves, it's like yeah, my greatest pleasure and honor to be weaving in with you at this time to support this vision. And yeah, I, and for everyone listening, Nalaya and I haven't really spoken over the past two years between my relationship journey and her initiation into motherhood. It's like we've been both deeply on our paths and like the immersion. And when she reached out to me, I was in the same hotel I was in when we last spoke, which was just like so psychedelic in itself, so divine. So there's like a lot a, of magic like a wink, here. wink of the universe. And like the wink, the biggest wink of the universe that could that could be. And the next time we speak, I'll, we'll probably be recording while I'm there, which is even more just like delicious. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I honor you, sister. I love how we've both, you know, I feel like our egos got shattered, our previous identities (laughs) got shattered, and miraculously we end up in a space where we can reconnect in this, yeah, I don't know, I get goosebumps. I don't even know what words I want to (laughs) use. But thank you so much. I love the way you weave with the eloquence of words and your wisdom and the way that you truly embody what you share. And yeah, it's always a delight to connect with you. Thank you. So welcome. Hey, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, before you go, I have a quick announcement to make. This year, I'll be teaching Dare to Love again. So if you are fed up dating the wrong guys and you want to attract your soulmate, go to nalayachakana.com and check out the Dare to Love course. This will be the only opportunity to work with me before our next pregnancy. So knock on my door if you have any questions. I'd love to hear from you.